Hey there, this is John Metter. Welcome to the Man to Man podcast. Men everywhere need to be talking to other men of experience and wisdom. Along with my friends, we'll be talking about how to grow as a man, how to find truth to stand on, how to meet the challenges of the day. Join me as we discuss everything from personal growth to fitness, from relationships to leadership. Let's talk man to man. Welcome. This is John Metter, and this is our Man to Man podcast. We're actually closing out the first season, and this is the last episode of that first season of Man to Man. Uh, And Man to Man, to explain the ministry behind uh, this podcast, is a gathering of men at Cross City Church. We meet very early on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., and we talk about things that pertain to men. And over the course of this last 12 weeks, we focused on 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and uh, verse 13 and 14, two verses with five big old principles in them that really do uh, speak to men in big ways. And so I'm going to kind of review just a little bit with you before I go into the, um, the actual lesson that I taught and uh, some of the questions that will challenge you. And this will be a challenging podcast because of some of the quotes that I give you and some of the things that we face as men today and I want you to be aware of them. So this whole man-to-man is based on uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Um, it says this, it says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. I don't think I can overestimate the impact these two verses have had in my life. Uh, and I was thinking the other day that it was early on in my mentoring experience in college where the man who mentored me assigned these two verses for me to memorize. Um, and it's really just kind of a reflection on the power of God's word that when you memorize something, commit it to memory, it influences you whether you realize it or not. And so these these two verses have five principles in them. And as I look back on my life, I realize that these five items have always been front and present in my mind. They're front burner kind of things. Um, be on the alert, meaning that I should always be watchful and 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 aware of what's going on around me spiritually or culturally, um, learning to stand firm in the faith, learning to plant your feet uh, like that spiritual warrior and uh, being able to stand firm the way you're supposed to stand, acting like men uh, as opposed to immature boys. That's always been something that was important to me. Uh, learn to be strong with the strength that Christ gives you and then letting all that you do be done in love. I think that verse resonates even more than the others for me. Uh, because I understand what it means, I believe, to be loved unconditionally by God. And then I had a family that really loved me unconditionally. And then I married an amazing woman who exemplifies unconditional love. And then, of course, as a pastor of several churches, four churches over my lifetime, uh, I've experienced great love from those congregations in so many different ways. So memorizing Scripture really makes an impact. This, this this verse or two that I've been talking about has been kind of the flavor of our first season of Man to Man, and all the podcasts relate to that. But I'm going to summarize this uh, today in the last episode. And I'm going to give you three principles that deal with love and other aspects of Man to Man ministry. And I want to challenge you in a couple of ways. I'm going to quote a couple of secular authors, um, talk about, a little bit about um, an, an old college football player turned pastor who had some great insight. And I just want to be able to help men 
in this podcast to understand the importance of their role in the church and in culture. So here's the first principle I'm going to give you uh, based on all we've said in this first uh, 11 weeks. And the first principle is for men in the church to live out their love as one of the most important roles we have. Live out your love. And I use John 13, verse 34. I refer to Jesus' conversation with his disciples in that last week of his life where he's about to wash their feet and, and he's, he's, he's doing this with everyone uh, and he is teaching them what he wants them to remember after he's gone. And here's what he says in this verse. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, in a way, that new commandment is not new at all, but in another way, it's new because Jesus is about to demonstrate unconditional love. So they've always known that they should love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and love their neighbors themselves. Jesus taught that early on in ministry. But what they've not seen yet is the unconditionality of that kind of love. They haven't seen Jesus die sacrificially on the cross. They haven't experienced his vicarious, stand-in-their-shoes kind of death. He's about to show them what that looks like, and they're about to see this love from a very new angle. So this is the new commandment he's talking about, that you love one another even as I have loved you. So uh, it's an immediate meaning, but it's also an ultimate meaning he's shooting for when he says that. And I want you to consider what that means for men to live out this kind of sacrificial, agape, unconditional love uh, in the church, in the home, in the community, in the world that we live in, and to think about how that impacts everything around us. Now, I think I'll, I'll find full agreement with you that the depiction of men in the media and in culture while sometimes sadly true, is the diametrical opposite of what we're called to. We're not to be weak, narcissistic, unable to love others sacrificially. We're to be Christ-like. And part of the reason Jesus was so different from the world that he was born into is because he knew what it meant to love unconditionally. He knew what it meant to reach out and touch other people's lives selflessly. And that's the principle of love that he teaches. But think about the way the world views men today. I mean, it is a pretty sarcastic approach that views men as uh, irresponsible, unloving, uh, except when it comes to loving themselves, um, given to self-gratification, given to selfishness, not willing to sacrifice, not willing to be courageous, not willing to be um, good examples. And that's the way the world is now viewing men in society. In fact, men have become almost the enemy of society. And if you're a white male especially, and I know there are reasons people say that, but the reality is all men are in the target of the enemy as being useless and unworthy of their role. And yet our role is to lead the way in, in the areas of love and leadership and and in so many different ways, and Jesus gives us a perfect example of that. Now, loving people unconditionally is not easy. One of the great stories Jesus told was the parable of the Good Samaritan where a man was beaten up and left on the road for dead. And uh, three men passed by. The first one, a religious leader who didn't stop. He was busy. The second did the same. The third one that stopped was, as Jesus tells the story, a Samaritan. And he was good to the man who was beaten up, and that's why we call this the Good Samaritan. 
And so he was so good to the man that he stopped and rendered aid, and he took him to an inn and paid for his stay and said, whatever else you need to help this man heal, charge it to my account. And, of course, the story made the Jews furious because the examples he used of the two men who left the man on the side of the road for dead were religious leaders in the Jewish system. And, uh, and then he highlighted the Good Samaritan, which was also kind of anathema, kind of cursed uh, by the Jewish people, that he would elevate a half-breed, half-Jew, half-Gentile, a Samaritan. And, uh, and yet Jesus tells this amazing story, but my favorite line is at the end where he says, go and do the same. In other words, go and love people like the Good Samaritan loved people. Now, it shouldn't be lost on us that the context of this is on the heels of Jesus' statement of what's the greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm mindful of this fact that when Paul writes in his epistles, he always uses love as the capstone on every other character trait we ought to be becoming in Christ. Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, all those things are good. Uh, pure, I can name character quality after character quality, but none of them are superior to love. In fact, I could argue that love encompasses them all, and if you love unconditionally, all these other qualities will be in your life. Even in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And uh, so Paul makes it very plain, Jesus makes it very plain, that love is a huge thing. And so for men in the church to live out their love is one of the most important roles that we have. <clears throat> so my encouragement to you is to live out love in your relationships, <clears throat> excuse me, where Jesus first taught it. Live out your love in marriage, where the day-to-day -day is so important and sometimes it's difficult to love. Live it out at work. Be the most unique worker of them all. Be the person that leads the way in loving others unconditionally. Live out your love, in other words. That's a challenge that I'm bringing out of our man-to-man -man conversations and discussion into your life, hopefully, for these next few months. It's a quest to pursue. Second principle is this. Men must find a way to love and affirm the next generation of men. Now, I reference uh, Paul's letters to the epistles quite a bit. Um, he made this statement in 1 Timothy 1, 2, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to highlight the fact that he called Timothy his son in the faith. Now, Timothy was not Paul's son biologically, but in the church, Paul considered himself a father-like figure to men like Timothy, young men, who were called by God, had come to faith in Christ, they realized a call to ministry, but needed someone to help them, to mentor them, to teach them. And so Paul calls Timothy a son. If you dive into Timothy's background, you'll realize he had a Greek father and a believing mother and a believing grandmother who helped lead him to faith. Uh, and yet, in all of our readings uh, about Timothy's life, historically and in the Bible and elsewhere, he never had a believing father. So this was kind of a mixed marriage, spiritually speaking. And, uh, and yet Paul recognized what was going on in Timothy's life and took him under his wing. And, of course, two of the letters that Paul wrote were to Timothy. And uh, it's just a great example of how we ought to view the next generation. And I'm going to tell you, 
the next generation uh, is under attack. It always is, but especially it is today. We have to find a way to love and affirm the next generation of men. I remember Robert Lewis telling the story in his quest for authentic manhood about a dad that was kind of absent, wasn't loving in the relationship with uh, his wife, which is Robert's mother, wasn't a, a present to help Robert in dealing with the details of life. And he tells this very vulnerable story of going into a locker room in the eighth grade, a high school locker room, and not having been prepared for what locker room talk was about, what locker room life was like. He didn't even know what a jockstrap was. And so he became the object of ridicule from some of his friends because of his naivety when he walked into that, into that locker room. He was shocked by what he saw and heard. And, and But his father could have prepared him for that, but didn't prepare him for that. And, and Robert shares this decades after that event. And he utilizes that story to say, Fathers, teach your children what they need to know in practical terms. Help them know what a locker room is. Help them know how to defend themselves uh, to the object, uh, objectivity or ridicule that others have towards them. Teach them the basics and certainly teach them the spiritual basics. And in his quest for authentic manhood, he makes that point really strong. Older men need to come alongside younger men and really bless them with insight and knowledge and camaraderie. I read something that shocked me to the core the other day, even though I know it's true. Uh, spoken by a man, I don't know. I haven't done research into this man, so I hope this, uh, this statement times well. I hope it ages well in the future. But Anthony Esselin made a quote the other day about the next generation of young men, and uh, I want to read it to you, and I want to read it to you as a challenge. Now, there's some political overtones in this, and, and I understand that, uh, but I am somewhat in agreement with much of what he says here. And I'm going to quote for a bit, so hang on. Anthony Ethelon said this, Who is the most invisible and unheard person alive in the Western world right now? Teenage boys growing up without a father, not knowing what it means to be a man, barely tolerated by his teachers, ignored by the girls, dismissed by his church. He has no political action group. Hipster priests don't pay any attention to him. Well, not unless... Never mind, he says. He doesn't deface great art, doesn't make a nuisance of himself, is not an activist. He probably doesn't have enough ambition for that, or maybe he's just not insane. He's, he's big enough, and or rather, if big enough leavers set in the right place can move the earth, or at least a church with more than a billion members can move the earth, all he has is a toothpick unless someone intervenes. He's not a moral ideal far from that. But exactly nothing in his instruction, whether academic or moral, inspires his perfectly ordinary and God-created masculine nature. He doesn't complain about that, not because he's meek, but because he's so far from having any masculine virtues to imitate. He doesn't even suspect that there are any. He is therefore likely to be vaguely feminist, if he's an agreeable fellow, though he does understand that he's already much stronger than his mother is. It's somewhat off-putting and uncomfortable experience that Barring disability or the near approach of a, of a man's death, a teenage girl never has this with her father. So he's unique. He's probably looked at porn and maybe even hooked on porn. Not that anybody cares because the people who do get all the attention for their favorite form of sexual immorality and insanity. They use porn all the time too and do plenty of things that aren't uh, fit to be put before the eyes of visitors to the village. 
He may be sullen because sullenness is all around him because he ought to be spending another 20 hours a week outdoors at play or at work, but he has this natural sense. It's a little puny to say that if you're hurting, there's a knife in your belly. Besides, if he does complain about having no father to guide him, that would make his mother unhappy, and he wants to spare her feelings. As for the missing man himself, who knows? He has no hope from that quarter. The girls, by the way, are hurting badly too, but those among them who would love to fall in love and get married after the ordinary and immemorial, immemorial way of nature also have no advocates. Kid's been beaten and robbed and left for dead, while everyone possesses him on the way to political demonstration, the brothel, or the bathhouse. Now, this guy's a prophet. He may be a cultural prophet. He's got some biblical hints in there. But nonetheless, he's calling out what's happening in American culture, at least, and that is that young boys are largely ignored if there's not a political agenda for them and if the church doesn't stand up. Pause for effect. No more quotes here. Bottom line on, on it is that young men need to be in the sights of older men for the purpose of helping them be strong, young, biblical men of faith. And guys, I honestly don't have any answer as to how that can take place, but sense that an answer is needed, it's necessary. And I know we have a tremendous number of boys in the church. Many of them have fathers. Some of them do not, who are good uh, examples to them. But it's upon us as men to figure out how to love and affirm the next generation in a way that will help them be strong in the faith in the years to come. So I leave that to you as a challenge, most likely one that we'll take up in future semesters. Third principle here, you're still with me. One part of your mission is to disciple other men with these priorities. Now, First Timothy chapter 1 talks about Timothy's. Second Timothy chapter 2 also does. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now that's our discipleship verse. That's what we call adopting one another uh, in the kingdom of God. And it's one of those priorities that we must have for the next generation. How do older men approach younger men? How do younger men approach older men? When I was pastoring in Irving, Texas, there was a guy who was uh, who had uh, a former he was a former pastor, but now had gone into traveling ministry, and his name was Ron Dunn. And Ron Dunn was pretty much uh, an introvert, even though he was phenomenal from the pulpit. He liked to live life alone. He and his wife were pretty quiet, and uh, and Ron uh, was a, a wellhouse of knowledge, phenomenal insights into the Word of God. Tremendous preacher and teacher, and I knew I needed to learn from him. And when I became pastor there, I would badger him. I would, I would ask him over and over, would you meet with me? Would you meet with me? And he very politely would decline at first, and then after a while I realized I had to get pretty, uh, pretty strong in my request and finally figured out how to do that. And so uh, I began to pick him up occasionally for a late lunch or uh, and a visit over lunch, and I would supply the questions. He would supply the answers. And I wished we had have met a uh, hundred times, but the few times we met, I learned so much from him. My point is this. Sometimes younger men have to be somewhat determined to figure out what they need to know from older men and make the request. Older men sometimes struggle with confidence. Am I old enough? Am I mature enough? I still have weak points in my life. Um, 
Am I the type of person that needs to pass on anything to the next generation? So I know men that are in their 40s and 50s and 60s, and some in their 70s that still ask those questions, even though they're well beyond their immaturity. And while not perfect, none of us are, they are capable of taking the top two or three lessons of their life and passing them on to younger men. I asked the men at the table recently, what are the top three lessons that you believe that you have to pass to the next generation? Figure those out. Find a younger man to pass it on to. And I would say in the same way to younger men, what are the three things you need to know most about the faith and about life? Write those down. Approach an older man and say, can you teach me anything about one of these three? And whatever that man provides for you, take it and go to the next guy. Copy is pretty inexpensive, but those conversations are priceless. So I want you to be encouraged to do that kind of interaction. And I would encourage you to make it a part of your lifestyle. I could say this, at every church I've pastored, there's always been men in the church from whom I could learn. I would also say there are also women in the church from whom I could learn. But my focus has always been to find those older men who can teach me what they've learned in life. Sometimes younger men can teach me as well, but to be teachable so that I can be mature. Well, I hope these three principles are helpful for you. And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed our podcast. Uh, We'll keep it up so you can keep listening to it. And it'll be a few months before we kick off another one. But when we do, it'll be Man to Man Part 2. And we'll go a little deeper into all these things and what they mean for us to live out our faith as faithful men. Thank you again for joining us. Until next time, this is John Nevers.